I'm going to, I'm ready to go into the word. You ready? Let's look at the word of the Lord. I want to read a passage. I'm going to come back to it. And then I'm going to uh, just kind of walk into where we're, where, where we're headed. We are, uh, this is two things, a couple of things are happening here. First, we're in, into a new series called Making Room for More. Making Room for More. The idea of that, and this actually this passage, Isaiah 54, that'll be on the screen, kind of gives you the understanding and the definition of what we're doing. That first verse that, that you won't see on the screen, it's, it's the Lord saying to the people of Israel, you know that there's more people who don't serve me in essence than those that do. And so what he says in Isaiah 54 verses two through four, he says this, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out and do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and you will people desolate cities. We hear the heart of God, not only on a personal level, but on a corporate level. And if I could say it the other way around, not, even, not just on a corporate level, but on a personal level. What we, know, what we know is this, that God loves people enough that he desires for everyone to come to know him as Lord and Savior. Can you say amen to that? There is no pleasure in, 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 in God, in the economy of God, that people don't have an opportunity to know him and to surrender their life to him. Many of you here, you're here because of God's love, but you're also here because people loved you enough to tell you about God's love and God's opportunity for your life and God's ability to to bring you to a place of what he created you for. How many know God created us for goodness and God created us for pleasant things? God created us with the hope and with the future. He didn't create us for disaster. He didn't create us for ruin. God God created us for us to live in pleasant places. It's desire, the desire of God is for us to enjoy him and glorify him forever. That's God's hope. And so our desire, so the Lord is saying here to the nation of Israel, there's more who don't uh, honor me than those who do. So he says, I need you to stretch out. I need you to lengthen. I need you to stretch those stakes. Go to the right and go to the left so that people in desolate places can yet know that there is a God. We also believe that there's a personal aspect of that, that there's a capacity for every one of us to increase in our understanding of the almighty God and increase in our ability to apply that in our life and increase in our ability to apply that in the lives or help come alongside and help others. We want to grow because if the more we grow in God, the better in God that we are. And so one of the other things that we're doing now is fasting and praying. 21 days that we enter into this. We do it twice a year. We started last uh, Sunday night. They've already made references to our awakening time, time of people coming together, praying last Sunday night. It was an amazing time of worship and praying and anointing. And 21 days where each of us make a decision how we're going to surrender some things that we do in our daily life. Some people go the route of TV and media and, and those kind of things, and, and I'm, I'm all for that. Matter of fact, I think you can fast from those things a lot, uh, and I, I think it'll only make you better. Look at your neighbor and say, I know he's telling the truth. It'll only make you better. But, but we, de- we determine what we're going to eat, if we're going to eat, and how long we will 
go through that process. So some folks go without, they just go with water for maybe three days stints at a time. Some may go with juice. Some go with just salad. Some go with uh, Daniel fast where it could be, you know, oats and beans and things of that nature and, and no meat. Different things uh, that, that the Lord puts up on their heart to do. But the desire is what well, because I'm telling my flesh, you're not going to get your way. And let me tell you something. How many know the flesh? You know your flesh wakes up every morning with one mission, to kick your behind. Your flesh does not want you to engage in the things of God. I, I, I'm gonna, listen, I promise you this. You can check this out the rest of your life. You'll never have a morning when you wake up and your flesh says, hey, Tyrone, I'm your buddy today. I'm going to do whatever you want to do. Uh, that ain't happening. The flesh is always fighting against the spirit. And there's manners in which we tell the flesh, no, you're not going to have your way. No, I'm not going to give you that. No, I'm going to be dependent on God. No, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to my Lord. I want to be spending some time in prayer. I want to spend some time resisting some things. I want my flesh to die so my spirit can rise up and say yes to the almighty God. And so those of you that are fasting, however you're doing it, I want to encourage you to keep up with it. Now, let me, let me tell you what I know that's been, been happening this week just because of talking to different folks in the church. Satan, this last week, it seems like that rascal has unleashed a microburst storm on people's life. He's been jacking with marriages. He's been messing with people's health. He's been turning things upside down. And I'm here to let you know he is defeated. Listen, the devil loves to make a lot of noise. But I'm going to tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to teach a little bit better how to fight against him. Just a little bit better uh, how to fight against him. He ain't all that. He ain't all that he cracked up to be. And I'm telling you, there's a greater goodness in the almighty God and power and strength in him. And we always have victory in our Lord. But let's not forget this. We're in the fight. I can assure you the enemy don't like what's happening at CTC. He don't like what's happening in your life. He don't like what's happening in the city. There ain't no way he going to play dead. One thing we know about football, I don't care who we go up against. We ain't had a team yet. When we walked out on the field, they say, well, we know y'all going to beat us. So here you go. We just going to walk away. No, they come for a fight. Satan comes for a fight every day, but I am telling you, he is a defeated foe. He's already defeated, so we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from the place of victory. So let me give you a few verses. This message actually is not going to take uh, very long at all. If you get it, and if you say amen, and if you just if you encourage me and get me all pumped up and excited, and I'll get to saying so much, I forget what I'm supposed to say, that I'll just get so happy and excited, and you'll leave here rejoicing in Jesus. So y'all with me? Listen to what the scripture says. And I want to get a picture there of a Roman soldier. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12. This is Paul talking. Now Paul at this time is he's in the Roman uh, prison and he's going to be there actually until his until his death. And so he has a picture of a visual of what he sees on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And, and it's, it's a Roman soldier. And he's using that to depict to us how we stand against the enemy. Look at verse 10 through 12. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I love this. Paul is really making a great picture and visual for us to see, but he's also defining the battle lines. He's defining the battle lines that our fight is never against people. Our fight is never against people. I want you to get that. Our fight is never against people. People. It's always against spiritual forces. It's always the work of the enemy. It's always the manner in which Satan tries to pit himself against us. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. And he says, we got to arm ourselves. Now, I'm not going to go into the entire uh, armor of the Lord. He talks about the breastplate. He talks about our shoes. Uh, he talks about various things, girding up our loins. He talks about that. But I, I want to talk about one particular piece, actually, and that's the sword of the spirit. The one area that I want to focus in on today is the power of the word in your life. Now, I don't know if I can get there. Do I got, do we, are we able to show the picture real quick? I want to just show you a Roman soldier. And uh, that's what Paul saw on a, on a regular basis, a daily basis. He saw someone garbed up like that. They were holding a shield. They would have their hand on they have a sword and I'll talk about those pieces in just a moment and and this is what Paul says and and this is verse 16 and 17 he says in in addition to all of these hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the devil put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of of God. Now, he, again, he talks about the breastplate and girding up your loins and all of that, but he says in addition to all of this, and that's where I want to go with this because those pieces to me are the beginning of what it means to stand firm in God from the mind, for, from the standpoint of faith, and using the word of God. The first thing he talks about is the, is the, is the helmet, and I, I, I brought a little something another here that I want to just show you, just to give you a little visual of what Paul saw. This is, this is a little Roman, a Roman helmet. And it, you know, was able to obviously the, protect, their, protect their head. They had the little deals here. These ain't, this, ain't, this is not a beard, by the way. This is just a little metal pieces. But, but let me tell you what, the, I, the, obviously, initially, you get it. This is protection of the head. A blow to the head can, can, can kill you. But more so, it's for identification. It identifies them. The uniqueness of this particular helmet identifies them as a Roman soldier. And this is, and this is what, what Paul is saying to us, that the helmet of salvation affirms to us who we are. It affirms to us, this is the helmet of salvation. Why am I putting this on every day? Because I'm affirming that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I put this on every day? Because this is the helmet that identifies me. It's my salvation that determines who I am now. Not who I was. Not who I was born to be. Not the effects of maybe being abandoned when you were young. Or even your parents telling you you were an accident. Or some boss or some teacher saying you were stupid or you were dumb and you'll never make it and those kind of things that label us and affect us all of our life this is what the Lord says when you put on the helmet of salvation you're identifying that you belong to the almighty God 
and you now are who he says that you are. Not what other people have said, not what other people, not even what you've made yourself to be. Some of you believe I'm an addict and I'm going to always be an addict. I'm a liar and I'll always be a liar. I'm a thief and I'll always be a thief. Not when you receive the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This helmet identifies that my salvation is because of the goodness and the grace and the love of the almighty God. I am who he says I am. I am a child of God. That's the place of victory from jump. It's from that place when the enemy tries to say you're a thief and you're a liar and you're no good and you think you're a Christian and look how you act and look how you talk and look how you walk. You think you're one of them. You ain't one of them. Listen, I'd look at that joker right in the face and say, you remember, you, you see this? This is the helmet of salvation. This is what determines who I am because this came from the almighty God. You know, that reminds me of something. There's a great verse in Isaiah 59, 17. It talks about the Lord is the one that also wears a helmet of salvation. It says actually that the Lord is a God that's clothed in righteousness and wears the helmet of salvation. Now let me tell you something. Let me tell you why that's so good. Because this is what this means. The righteousness that I have on and the helmet of salvation that I have on is not anything I obtained on my own. It is the righteousness of God that he has given me. It's the salvation that he has given me. What does that mean? I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. I didn't inherit it. That means it cannot be taken away. There's nothing I did that got it. It was everything he did to say, Tyrone, you belong to me. You are my child. You are saved, not just for today, not just for next week, but for all eternity. Every single moment I wake up in the morning, I got one hope. One day soon, I'm going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I have on the hope of my salvation. Now, let me, this thing getting sweaty, but y'all hold on with me for a minute. Let me, let me, let me just read this scripture to you. Listen, but let us who live in the light, hear this, hear this believer, be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. You got to stand firm on who Christ has made you to be. Be clear-headed about that. If you walk around here not certain whether Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you walk around here not sure if you're born again, I'm telling you, you set yourself up to get a whooping. The enemy will get on you. He will mess with your mind. He'll make you doubt. He'll make you question. Did that baptism really mean anything? Did did, did I really have an encounter with God? Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was just emotionalism. Maybe it was just extravagance. No, you got to get past that. Listen, believer, if you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, live clear-headed. Live every day in confidence. Live every day in hope. Yes, we're going to go through stuff. Yes, we're going to go through trials. As a matter of fact, here's a good thing about what God does. Conditionally, he cleans me up. Um, Positionally, he puts me in the right place right from the beginning. The moment I give my life to Jesus Christ, every sin I've ever committed is forgiven at that very moment. At that very moment. Now, can I just help you a little bit? Not just the ones I've committed before then, but every sin that happens after. Now, don't get me wrong. 
We don't live to sin. And if you're a believer, there should be no desire to sin. But because we're still living in the flesh, and there's going to be moments when you're just going to slip up. Now, y'all probably slip up more than me, but there's going to be moments where you just might slip up. But I got news for you. When Jesus put his righteousness on you, it was once and for all. When he gave you the helmet of salvation, it was once and for all. And he says, be clear-headed about this. Have it as a settled issue. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my God. He is my Savior. I'm not going to struggle with that any longer. Now, if you're here and you haven't made that commitment to Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help you. Listen, we want to help people far from God find life in Christ. And I'm here to tell you the only way to find real life is in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm telling you, you're always working behind the curve. You're always working from a place of defeat because the only victory comes in the Lord. So be clear-headed believer. Wear that hope of salvation in a manner of knowing that I'm blood-bought, I'm blood-washed, I'm born again, I'm in, the, I'm in a position that Christ has placed me. And then we let the Spirit of God get us all right conditionally. Am I talking to the right church? Now, the other thing he brought up was that shield of faith. And this is not really entirely what the shield looks like. I just like this one because it got CTC on it. But the shield that they had actually, and I don't know if that was quite in the picture, it almost standed as tall as they were, covered their entire body. And it was, um, they had to put different oils and stuff on it, on the wood and the leather, because in that time, of course, when they shoot darts, they would shoot darts with, with flames of fire on the end of them, et cetera, and that would ex- dis- uh, extinguish when the darts hit them. And their, their whole purpose, of course, was the, obviously to get the arrows in you, but if they couldn't do that, if, if things could burn in the meantime, then they know they also had a chance to go in. This is what, what Paul said. He said we need to hold up the shield of faith. Now, I'm going to tell you why it's important that we hold up the shield of faith. Because I know for a fact that the enemy will attack from all kinds of places in every given day. Listen, let me tell you what the enemy will do. The enemy will shoot things at you about anger. He'll shoot temptations at you. He'll shoot lust at you. The enemy will shoot things about doubt. We just sung about no longer being afraid. The enemy will shoot things of fear. The enemy will get you to place to uh, make you believe you got lack. Some folks walk around and live in their marriage every day afraid that one person is going to leave or they're going to lose a relationship with their children. Listen, those are darts of the enemy that has one purpose, and that's to defeat you within your mind and within your heart and just crush your spirit. And the scripture tells us that we need to hold up the shield of faith. It's the shield of faith. Our belief, now listen, the devil's going around, the scripture says, and I believe it's 1 Peter 5, 8, just roaring. He, he's seeking who he can devour. And when you, if you've heard a lion roar, it absolutely paralyzes you. That's what the enemy's trying to do, to get you in total paralysis, where your fear stops you in your tracks. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, no, we hold up the shield of faith. And let me tell you what the scripture says in Psalm 28, 7. It says, the Lord is my strength, catch this, and my shield. In him, my heart trusts, and I am helped. Now, I got to tell you why I love this. Because Paul tells us to hold up the shield of faith, but then he tells us who who the shield is. The shield is the Lord. 
The shield is the Lord. And so listen to what the scripture is saying. When I got to stand with the shield of faith, am I standing believing I can hold it the right way, maybe watch it the right way? No. Paul is just saying, hold up the Lord. Have faith in him. When the enemy comes, just get behind the shield. It's not you that's got to fight the battle. The Lord is your shield. And the scripture says, he is the one that will help you. You don't have to fight this battle. Philip had a a great, matter of fact, everything they did today was right on. I actually said they didn't just about sung my whole sermon. But, But everything that they was imparting was right on. The Lord is the one that's fighting this battle. We stand behind the shield of faith because it's the Lord that's extinguishing the darts. He's taking them on. And I love what what John says in 1 John 5, 4, 5. He says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. I don't want you to miss this. Every child of God defeats this evil world. There's no loss in that. There's no defeat in that. I'm going to read it one more time. How many children of God I got in here? Every child of God defeats this evil world. And we, who is the we? The children of God achieve this victory through our faith. Am I talking to the right church? It's through the Lord. And who can win this battle against the world? Uh Uh-oh. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So here's what the, what, Paul, what the Scripture is saying. We know we got victory because we belong to the Lord. He is our shield. My faith is in him. And we know that we're going to be victorious. We know we can't lose. We know we can't be defeated. The enemy cannot take me out. Listen, I stand on the promises of God. Stop living, church, with the mindset, what if this happened? What if this goes wrong? What if this doesn't come through? What if this just doesn't end up the way that I hope? Stop living that way and start believing that God is the one that gives you the victory. He is more than able. More than able, and victory is in him. But here's a warning. The only ones that's got that promise. If you're sitting here today and, and, and you hear anything I say, and you say, man, this life is beating me down. I got good news for you. You can have victory if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But without trusting in Jesus, you'll come in here week after week, and you know what you'll conclude? This world is beating me down. The only ones who have that promise is those who believe in the Son of God. Am I talking to the right church? And so the scripture tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't go by everything I see. I go by what I know I can believe because God is a God that says yes and amen. You all right? All right, now let me get to my message. My message is right here in verse Number 17, because it talks about the sword of the spirit. Now, this this was a great gift to me. It's a big sword and a bit heavy. And so anybody in the front row, just be careful because I'm going to get to slinging in a minute. But let let me tell you what Paul talks about the sword. It's the only piece of the armor that's offensive. Everything else is designed for us to be protected and to affirm who we are. It defines that we are covered by God and protected by God. We got on his righteousness. We got on his strength. 
we have his shield, hope in our salvation. But the sword is the one that's offensive. It's the sword when the Roman soldiers were fighting, when they, when they, when they were able to get close enough to where the attackers was coming from, they would use a sword, and their sword was much smaller than this, as you saw. They would carry it on the side. When they were able to get close enough, they would just finish the enemy off with that sword. When they were charging, it was a sword that was in their hand. And Paul says that we have an offensive weapon, and it's the word of God. It's the word of God. The word of God is the thing that sets the enemy to flight. Now, let me just tell you about Jesus first. And it's in, it's in Matthew chapter four. This isn't on, your, on the screen, so I wanna read it to you. This is when Jesus was, had just finished getting baptized, Matthew chapter four. Watch this. When Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest the strike, lest they strike you a stone against your foot. Jesus again in verse seven, again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse number eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. Look at the example we get from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The enemy came to him with the three sins that can, attack, that can take down anybody. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's all that's in the world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, th- th- that can be fleshed out to, to look a lot of different things to you, but it all boils down to lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Something you see, something you want, and something that makes you feel good. Each one of those he came to Jesus with. And each time, what did Jesus say? In the word, it is written. In the word, it is written. In the word, it is written. That was his offense. In the word is written. In the word is written. In the word is written. And the scripture says, Satan left him. Now, let me tell you something about the word of God. There's there's two things I'll say. One is about the Logos word. That's the written word of God. You want to know it. You need to know it. Don't let the only time you come into the house of God be the only time you read the scriptures. That's your offense. When the enemy comes, you need to know what the scripture says about those situations. And don't let media fool you and critics fool you and skeptics fool you. The word of God speaks to everything going on in life. It really does. It speaks to it all. And you are able by the word of God, when the enemy comes to you with certain things, say, no, devil, I know that ain't true because the Bible says this. The word says this. The word says this. Hebrews says this. Isaiah says this. Ephesians says this. You fight back and put that devil to flight by the word of God. That's the Logos word. That's the written word. But then there's also the rhema word. And the rhema word is the words that we read in the Bible on a regular basis that at given moments, when you read them, 
all of a sudden, those words almost come to life. The rhema word. It's, 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 it's inspiration. It's not revelation. Anytime anybody come to you and say they got a new revelation about the word, you need to say, time out, goodbye. There ain't no new revelation. We got the revealed word right here. But let me tell you what can happen. There's things that you can know and even read, and they're in the word, they mean something at the time, but there's certain times when the rhema word will just speak to you at the moment, and you know exactly what to do, you'll know how to respond, it's just like it came to life. Let me, let me give you a little example, and I, I want to keep him here because I'm going to use it, but let me give you a little example, and this is a little bit of confession of Pastor Tyrone. When Norman was here last time, he flew into town, he had been somewhere else in the country, and he was there, and there was, I don't know, maybe, I think he said maybe 20 pastors. One of the pastors there happened to be a pastor from Yuma. He didn't know Norman, had never met Norman, didn't know Norman was our son. And so he met him, they got to talking, and when the guy told him he was from Yuma, Norman said, that's where I'm on my way to. I'm on my way to Yuma. And he says, oh, really, who are, who are you going to be with? He says, I'm going to go be with Pastor Tyrone in church for the city. The guy, the pastor, don't ask me who he was because I'm not going to tell you. The pa- don't ask my kids. Don't ask my wife. Don't ask nobody. The pastor begins to say insulting things about me and Virginia. And Norman says to him, do you even know him that well? Do you know him that well to say those things? Do you know that I'm his son? Do you, why would you say those things? What, where are you getting this from? And, and so Norman tells his story and says, Dad, but I handled it and started telling me about great things going on in India. He going back to tell me great things in India, I'm still sitting there thinking, that dude insulted me. Insulted my wife, insulted our church. And Norman's telling me all these awesome things. Man, they raising the dead and sick getting healed. And I'm sitting there thinking, that dude insulted me. He telling me about how many more churches we going to do next and how many people getting saved. And he just happened. You know, Norman, God, that this is big time, big time. And I'm sitting there thinking, that dude insulted me. So I let Norman finish his part. And then he wanted to go do something. I said, Son, I just got to ask you again, where did he get this from? He said, oh, no, I know, I know that. I told him all this. I handled it. Let's go to Chili Pepper. And I'm like, no, no, I want to know. He said, dad, it's handled. Don't just let it go. I said, okay, let it go. The next day, I'm leaving one place and, and I'm in the vicinity of this guy's church. So I decide I'm going to go to the church office and talk to him. I go to the church office. He wasn't there. Now, y'all think it was a Lord. (laughs) It was just bad timing. (laughs) So, but when I did leave, I thought, okay, that that I I need to let it go. And I did until the next day. Next day, I left where I was. I do have a kind of a pattern of place I go, and I just got to go back. And I, I said, I'm, I'm just going, I'm calmer now. I'm just going to talk to him, find out why he's saying these things. Went to the church office. He wasn't there. Left the church office and thought, okay, it's probably 
the Lord. Next day I got up and made up my mind. I'm, I'm, I, just, I just need to get it off my mind. Well, you know, I read a proverb every day based on the day. And this particular day was the 12th of the month. And I was reading Proverbs 12 and listen to this rhema word to me. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Now, that was the ESV and I thought, that's probably don't mean that. So I went to the New Living. And it says, a fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. You know, I went to Yuma High School, and all words don't mean what they say they mean. So I thought, I'm going I'm to check one more thing. The message is always my friend when I need some words to say what I wanted to say. So I went to the message, and it says, fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly, the prudent quietly shrug off the insults. That was a rhema word. That was a rhema word. That was a rhema word. I've read that verse, I don't know how many years, every 12th of the month, but that day, Virginia can tell you, I picked up the phone right then and said, baby, I'm leaving this alone. God speaks to us in a rhema word and sets us up for victory and not for defeat so that we don't make a fool out of ourselves. Am I talking to the right church? So we got the Logos word, which is the written word, and we got the rhema word. But, but you got to read the Logos word to get the rhema word. You got to get the Logos to get the rhema so, that you, so God can speak to you through his word. Now I'm ready to close. I think my time is up. They said, I don't know. But I, I want to I do one more verse for you. Y'all getting anything out of this? This making any kind of sense? This, this, this last verse is 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. Now, don't y'all get too close. I'm going to swing this thing. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> so, but I want, you to, I want you to listen. This is David's and his mighty men. This is some of the David's last days, and he's actually wrapping up, and he's just given some chronicles of his life. He hasn't quite had the meeting yet with Solomon, but he's getting ready to. But the scripture lists his mighty men. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 9, listen to this. It says, and next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. But he was the son of Dodo. I mean, who want to go around saying, what's your name? Dodo. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why the Bible do that to people. He was, I mean, check those. You can go on Google. Well, I guess they didn't have Google then. But okay. But I mean, you know what Dodo means. All right, let's move on. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. I want you to catch this. This Eliezer, son of Dodo, 
was such a warrior for the kingdom of God, for the nation of Israel, against the enemies of the nation of Israel, that when he went into battle, he stood there with his sword all day long, taking out enemy after enemy after enemy, battle after battle after battle. The sword was his lifesaver. But he used that sword so long till the sword would not come out of his hand. When they looked at his arm, they saw the sword. And when they saw the sword, they saw his arm. In other words, you couldn't tell the difference between his arm and his hand and his sword. It became so much a part of his life that whenever you see Eliezer, you saw his sword. Whenever he reached his hand out, you touched the sword. Whenever he reached to hug you, he's got his sword. It became that much a part of his life. Come on, church. Don't miss this. I need some sons of dodos up in this house. Some folks that's willing to take their sword and let that be a part of their life. When you see me, you see my sword. When I'm in battle, I got my sword. When I'm fighting, I got my sword. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is what I use. This is how I get victory. It's the sword of the Spirit. Now I'm going to wrap this up and you can stay standing. But let me tell you what the scripture says. The scripture says, if you want to be healed, if you want to be converted, and if you want to be set free, you need the word. The scripture says, he sent his word and healed us, made us right. The scripture says, he sent his word in James 1 and it converts us. In in John 8, it says, the word sets us free. Let me tell you, church, you want to be converted, you want to be changed. You want to be transformed? You want to be different? Pick up that sword. You want to be healed? You want to be made right? You want to be restored? Pick up that sword. You want to be liberated? You want to be set free? Pick up that sword. This is how we get the victory. God bless you. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity we've had to share in the word of God Lord I'm not certain a prayer team if you'll come I'm not certain who you're speaking to this morning and in what manner but Lord I'm asking that you would just speak directly to those who need to be healed in their life to those who need to be converted and those who need to be set free